I'm Fraser Kastner. And I'm Sam Beckman. Welcome to Collegian Voices, a podcast from the staff of the University of Tulsa Collegian Student Newspaper, where we bring you interesting people and stories from TU and the greater Tulsa community. We hope you enjoy the show. The fact of the matter is, is that before the conflict, no one even like considered themselves oppressed. Mm-hmm. Like Syria had, we have free healthcare, up, even in the middle of the war, free healthcare, mm-hmm. free, free education. education, like through college, through med school. The civil war in Syria is a labyrinthine web of alliances, ideologies, and agendas that has played out over the last four years, and it doesn't show any signs of being resolved soon. In addition to the conflict between the Assad regime and its opponents, the region is host to proxy wars between Iran and Saudi Arabia, as well as Russia and the United States. The resulting conflict has affected millions of ordinary Syrians, some fleeing to Europe or the United States, while others try to make their lives as normal as possible. Last week, I sat down with two Syrian Americans who happened to attend TU, and we discussed their experiences and perspectives on their homeland's war. I'm Senna. And I'm Dana Seuss. And uh, we're sisters from Syria. Yeah. Our parents, first of all, lived there for thirty their first 30 years of life. They both went to med school. They got married, and my dad came and did his residency here. Mm-hmm. So we visit Syria for three months every year yeah. before the war. Um, before the war, we had a villa. Uh, we live in Aleppo. And in that villa, um, our entire family lives. Like, my aunts, my uncles, my grandmother, each of us has a flat. Like, all 60 of us yeah. in one villa. Um, it's really a lot <laughs> uh-huh. of fun, and we would go there you know a week before school got out sometimes and we would come back like a week later the night before school yeah we would be there for three months out of the year and that three months was honestly an experience that I'm sorry that my little sisters will never get to have we still like on a daily basis FaceTime my family our cousins when they have wi-fi um Aleppo is currently under siege um it's half of it belongs to the rebels and half of it is guarded by the government and um you know electricity is a difficult situation because oh, yeah. they the government they live in the government controlled areas which is good because if they lived in the rebel controlled areas they would have to wear like headscarf full-on burqa like like mm-hmm. women can't drive cars in those areas the government has to shut off electricity enough so that there can be enough for like everyone um water Aleppo was without oh, water, it was without water for, for like 90 days. So the, it's very expensive. You have to buy it in bottles, you know, to shower. Like to cook, showering to clean. maybe once every four days. Yeah, and it's difficult. And the city that my mom was born in is like fully controlled by the rebels now. <laughs> and okay, the new rules. A woman can't leave the house unless she's accompanied by a male family member. She has to be fully covered from head to toe. She can't drive. And I'm like, if that is not indicative of what the rebels are are, are actually doing, yeah. it's like the opposite of democracy. Like, are you kidding? But, you know. Um, but I think as far as our family goes, they've, like, acclimated to it. So to them, it's become, it's part of their lives. So my cousins will, like, joke around, you know, they're, like, 12th grade exams. And they're like, yeah, and our friend came and he had spilled his breakfast on his shirt. But it was there for the next five days because you can't, can't wash, wash it. it. Yeah. yeah. But they laugh about it. They've gotten used to it and they sit at home in the winter like wearing like 10 layers and sitting because they don't have it they have no way of heating Um, yeah it's sad because when we were in lebanon there were like fireworks going off or something and they managed to get out of syria to see us in lebanon so they come every year Um, because now we can't go and they heard the fireworks and dan and i jumped because we were afraid you know that something had happened because you know lebanon is also unstable yeah things happen and they like didn't even flinch they were like so used to the sound of gunfire of just like shelling and it's just oh yeah To many people, it isn't clear what is being fought over in Syria. 
Some believe it's another instance of sectarian violence, a struggle for democracy against a fascist regime, or even a proxy war between world powers. I wanted to know how the conflict appeared to Syrians themselves, and the sisters had this to say. So this conflict is very political, but it's masked in religion. And really, it has nothing to do with religion. And people are just using religion as a tool. The war is really can be thought of more as like a West versus East sort of thing. Because if you think about it, the Assad regime, before all the conflict and everything happened, was the only really powerful Western modernized regime that didn't support the West. It didn't support the United States, was very anti-Israel, and it was powerful because it had allies like Russia and China and Iran, and that it was a threat to the U.S. and the West, even countries in the region that did have Western support like Saudi Arabia. The conflict is really more the West trying to undermine a power that it feels threatened by. I feel like the conflict has been sort of nudged on by the people that want to see the Assad regime fall and they do that by using religion, by playing on those sectarian tensions that are may have been there, but were really never a problem before. And a lot of the fighters aren't even Syrian. The rebel fighters are now, I'm sure you've heard about ISIS and all the terrorist groups that are in Syria. They're all outside fighters brainwashed by this Saudi Wahhabi terrorist ideology. They believe that they're fighting for jihad in Syria. And it's like, in our religion, it's you're not, you're not supposed to kill another human being. You're not supposed being. to kill another human being. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the fact that they're even, they're killing other Muslims because they're a different sect is even more unbelievable. Like, how can you believe that this is what, you know, God has ordered? Like, my sister and I in high school would try to tell people that, like, you have no idea this is not about democracy mm-hmm. because 90% of the rebels on the ground from the very beginning were uh, religiously, like, affiliated with yeah. extremist Al-Qaeda mm-hmm. groups. It was, like, somewhere between, like, 70 and 80% Jabhat al-Nusra, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a sect from Al-Qaeda. And I'm like, they're not fighting for democracy, right. but obviously that didn't come out to the West until, like, recently with the whole creation of ISIS and And even when exposed. it did come out, they still, there were still weapons being provided to those groups by and Saudi Arabia by Saudi Arabia and by the US the US was providing weapons and to the rebels to the rebels and there was a whole controversy about you know are we providing weapons to rebels and you know we knew this from the beginning and the US probably knew it too but they just didn't acknowledge it yeah because they wanted Assad gone to them that was more important than the safety than of the people in the region and i guess the large trouble there is also that like even if, hypothetically, this whole situation was about fighting for democracy, which it's obviously not, mm-hmm. and it never was, but even if it was, how can you have democracy in a country that was, uh, I believe it was 73% literacy rate? So, like, you know, there's a big portion of the population that lives off the land, they're illiterate, but they were, you know, in the mountains, you know, just you living know, it's their hard lives. to have a d- democratic, civilized country in... Well, it's, you can't have a democracy in a country that's not literate enough to where right, you... Right, exactly. Yeah. You, the people aren't educated enough to make a decision. And so, you know, you obviously you have these people being paid 
to start a revolution. So who's you know? So it's like they're gonna do whatever is best for them, and Mm -hmm. that's maybe controversial to say here because America is the land of democracy, and everyone is supposed to have that. But if you're not educated, it's very easy for those people to make wrong decisions. Just you know, a simple ten dollars would be like you know, vote for vote for him exactly. And that's you know, here in America, people give speeches and they there's a lot of campaigning campaigning, money that goes into it. Everyone's educated about bribery is a line that yeah. shouldn't be crossed. Kind of the social climate uh, yeah. in Syria is not really conducive to democracy. Yes, exactly. Okay. But that's something that it's hard for Western countries to understand because you're obviously like... Because you know, we're the city on the hill and, and yes. everyone wants to be like us. Yes, exactly. Okay. But you can't impose like your ways on the rest of the world because obviously the rest of the world is not the same. What I have heard mm-hmm. is that the reason we are involved in Syria is because Assad was using chemical weapons on civilians. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh okay. yes. We oh, <laughs> not even that. It's it's that and then people say he kills children, he starves people, and it's like all of it, none of it has an actual foundation. None no, no, it, no, wait. An Israeli journalist witnessed the chemical witnessed Israeli so how you can't get any more biased than that Israel against Assad regime is like okay yeah Hmm. Um, but we don't believe that happened and there's very little proof that that happened there actually is no no definitive proof proof. and you're gonna read so many articles about the you know the hint of proof and Mm -hmm. they play that up to make it seem like it's actual proof there is no actual but okay and then there's also a lot of like internal information that like clearly so the day that those chemical weapons like started being used it was uh in a city or yeah a little bit farther out of damascus Mm -hmm. but on that that very same day the regime had sent three of their best detectives to that town because they had some suspicions and that very day they like was assad using chemical weapons on his own like the day his People. detectives were visiting we believe that, city. that if there were chemical weapons used it was probably the rebels framing yes the, the assad, assad regime, regime. Okay. and I mean, that would play hugely into the people supporting them. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, he's using chemical weapons on his own people. Yeah. Okay. And so, but, like, I understand that, like, a lot of, like, the people in America that, like, our friends even, they, you know, it's hard for them to believe what we say because everything they've read, like, the New York Times. Everything. All of, all of the sources they're receiving, is this is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, really hard to, I understand, to just believe to just believe that what we believe. Yeah. And, and it comes down to the fact that we believe that this conflict is basically the West trying to undermine, undermine the Assad regime. And they, to them, to everyone, that f- seems like a conspiracy theory. I mean, even the, the U.S. government has, like, they know that they armed rebels. Like, it's not a secret. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think you just really have to... It's, it's hard because yeah. it's a complicated it, conflict. It is a complicated conflict, and... The United States is definitely using the whole uh, Assad and chemical weapons as a moral, you know, yes, reason sure. to go in, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just a cover. It bothered me that my twin cousins didn't get visas here because the U.S. was all about, you know, supporting the Syrian rebels and helping the people out of this horrible situation, and then you're not giving people, you're not giving any Syrian refugees access or visas or anything. Sona and Dana have a very different perspective than many people in America. 
When I asked how their views were received, they told me that it was often a point of contention, even with other Syrians. Our opinion hasn't changed since the beginning. Right. We've known all along what's but, been going on. But the U.S.'s opinion and the Western media's opinion has changed. No, keeps changing. It evolved yeah. from being diehard against Assad to being like okay. Democracy, you know, maybe freedom. the rebels are a little bit at fault here. To you know, it's basically a civil war. You know, it it's evolved. And at the beginning, it was hard because no one wanted to listen to us. Sophomore year, we had a discussion with a friend of ours, and he was like, "You guys are." Crazy. Crazy Assad is a horrible, horrible person. And then at the end of my senior year, he was like, wow, you guys are right. A lot of these rebels are actually terrorists. When I would like get up and we had something about the Syrian conflict and I would speak my opinion, mm -hmm. just like all these people were like, you're crazy. What are you saying? You're a conspiracy theorist. No, they're like, you're they told me that I was supporting a monster and I don't blame them. I mean, if that's what you read, then that's what you're going to believe. If the New York Times is telling you that, if the Washington Post is telling you that, then you're going to believe that because right. that's your source of information. So it was it was very difficult at first, but obviously, like recently, um, things have changed. Things a are bit. changing, kind yeah. of. You know, as as the truth starts to come out more. If you haven't guessed yet, the girls haven't joined the chorus of voices from the West condemning the Assad regime. When they look at Assad, they see an ordinary person put in an impossibly difficult situation, and they're pretty quick to defend him, especially considering the alternatives. As a person, I feel bad for the guy, honestly. Mm -hmm. He's an eye doctor. He never planned on being president. He wasn't supposed to be His president. His brother died, and so then this happened, and he becomes president, and especially at the beginning, he had a very weak backbone in that he didn't really know how to rule. And so his relatives, which a lot of his relatives are, are very, very corrupt. They are, yeah. And they're the, you know, prominent members of parliament, you know, people of power in the country are the ones that kind of ruled behind the scenes. And that's, that kind of is, you know, people use that to fuel the revolution because his relatives did steal a lot. The Assad regime were not saying in any way, shape, or form is that not they corrupt. Weren't corrupt. They weren't corrupt. They admitted they were corrupt. Yes. And um, but what? There's not a single government in this world that, that is, is not, not corrupt. Has a little know? bit of corruption. Like 100 percent not corrupt. It's actually funny. One of our aunts, <laughs> one of our aunts before the revolution. Um, our cousin Yada said something about how Assad was spineless, and at the time he, you know, was that person. And our aunt was like, "You can't say things like that. He's our president." Mm -hmm. And uh, now she's like die hard against him, and it's because of religious reasons. But it's just funny to see how people, you know, change and switch yeah. based on, you know, whims. He's just a normal man. He's not a monster. He did not order millions of people to be killed. That's not what he wanted. And I don't think that he ever imagined this happening. But unfortunately, when people, when you get these foreign extremist rebels coming out, demonstrating, You have to take shooting, a stand for you, the greater good. Yeah. And it's like, if he stepped down now, who's going to take power? One it's of his corrupt be religious relatives extremists. or the religious extremists. And, you know, chaos would ensue. He, someone has to be in charge of the Syrian army, telling them where to go, what to do. And so, you know, even though he doesn't, probably like ordering all this destruction the tough decisions have to be made it is a war you know mm -hmm. it's war i'm sure i don't have to tell you that isis the so-called islamic state is a huge source of fear in the united states there are presidential campaigns being run right now partially on anti-isis platforms isis claims to be the true voice of islam despite the objection of the vast majority of muslims i wanted to hear what sunna and dana as syrians and as muslims thought about isis ISIS is a joke to 
the people in Syria. They, like, make jokes about it because it's impossible for us to believe that these people are, like, 100% convinced in their ideology. It's Mm -hmm. like, what made you become like this? Our family makes jokes like, oh, you better cover up or ISIS is going to come get you or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's sad and it is always a lurking threat, but they've managed to, you know, somehow make light of it. There's always a fear that ISIS or one of these extremist groups is going to enter Aleppo, and so all of our female relatives have have their burqas ready. And oh it's yeah, just like mm-hmm. so they have might, to like keep it with them in the bus. So and they, when they like reach put it, it on. Yeah, when mm-hmm. they get there. So I mean, it's just it's something that they don't like. They're not like really afraid of. They're kind of defiant again, you know, in the face of ISIS. They don't want to bow down to something like that. Um, but I mean, obviously, they have to take precautions, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, ISIS is something that's giving all Muslims a bad name. Oh, my aunt was wearing her. She was she wearing the burqa mm-hmm. to go to Salin, our mm-hmm. my mom's hometown, and there was uh, there was a extremist like on the bus with her, and she her ankle was just out, and he tells her "Aghti al-abaya ya mara," which means like cl- like cover your ankles, ankles. Mm-hmm. and I don't know yeah. my. It's just ridiculous. But she laughs about it. Yeah, like, it's like so ridiculous that, that they you laugh. cannot take them seriously. And I think, well, maybe it's also because like here in the U.S. we're like always protected and we're, you just feel, yeah, yeah. we're used to feeling so safe. And after 9-11, there is always a fear of terrorists. And, and so that just strikes a That's completely reasonable, fear. you know? Oh, yeah. Um, for us, it's probably less serious because, you know, we know what Islam is and here... It's like a foreign, it's a foreign idea. Oh, yeah. So to us, the fact that they're using Islam as like this reason to kill all these people and to behave the way they're doing, it's just silly. Yeah. So it's But it's understandably like more scary to Americans. It's always complicated to talk about religion, Mm -hmm. especially for Muslims, because it's a religion that's taken very seriously by you know, most people who practice it. But at the same time, it's practiced differently, at different levels. You know, Islam has five pillars. Mm -hmm. Um, The five pillars are praying, you know, believing in the angels and God's prophets and God's books and fasting and giving to the poor, things like that. Those are like the core values, being a good person, basically. Then all of the rest, we believe it's important, but it's also just fluff. It's a way to judge other people. Yeah. So people will look at us and go, you know, you're not wearing a headscarf. You're probably not a very good Muslim. You might, mm-hmm. you might not even be a good person. And uh, a big tenet of our religion is you can't be the judge of other people. Like, because that is you- only God's job. And that is a huge issue in our community because our religion is so important to people. And it, it's used as a way to judge others and that's like one of the reasons that sectarianism has been used to fuel wars it's because religion is something that it's so near and dear and i think that people need to take a step back and realize that you know religion is a personal thing it's a spiritual your own relationship with god and i mean there's a lot of like statistics you know what is it they're like one billion out of the six seven billion people on earth are muslim Mm -hmm. and what it's like a very large religion and so you get like a lot of these extremist sects that come out of like the Saudi Arabia region and that mm-hmm. and that area, but if you compare them to the number of Muslims there are or around the world, worldwide, it's, it's, it's like mm-hmm. it's like the Westboro Baptist Church it's representing all Christians, right. if that. 
Syria obviously holds a lot of meaning to the girls, and although the war in their homeland doesn't show any indication of coming to an end, I wanted to get an idea of what they hoped for in the future. I mean, I would say the main hope is to get rid of these rebels first, like priority right mm -hmm. now is to get rid of the rebels and ISIS. Mm -hmm. And even if Assad is in power for like a year or two more, the country needs to stabilize. Mm -hmm. And then he has promised multiple times like a plan, like a, but it has to be a slow transition because mm -hmm. you can't go from like zero to a hundred. You can't, you can't just become a democracy overnight. Yeah. And he can't just step down overnight because who's going to take control? There has to be some... There has to be a slow transition. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people at the beginning didn't understand. Was there... If going from a... Not a dict... From a republic to a democracy, even. I think that they were looking at, you know, the previous Arab Spring examples like Tunis and Which Egypt, obviously none of which, which none are successful. Of, I mean, they, they seemed that they, could, that they were going to be for a little bit. Like, I mean, if they had just waited and they would have seen that it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as for hopes, honestly, I just, I think it's most important that people start, stop, like, dying, stop being killed. So, like, fighting should stop. A ceasefire. Yes. Right. And the country, I mean, obviously will never be what it once was, like, right before it. It was actually starting to develop. Like, we saw the first shopping malls. Yeah. The very last year we went. Um, they there were some opening. really nice malls, and it was just, like, really modernizing. They were starting to progress. Like, Assad brought the internet, like, 1997 mm -hmm. to Syria. Like, it was starting to develop and modernize. But with this whole revolution, like, a big thing the rebels have done is go after the improvements and the infrastructure. They so all the shopping malls. All the factories. All the, yeah. All the factories in Syria have been disabled, like, taken apart and taken, like, to Turkey and reassembled. Mm -hmm. So Syria is going to have to rebuild its infrastructure from, like, basically below zero. Um, one of the big things they destroyed was a hospital in Aleppo. It was like the number one research center for cancer in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of their first the targets first target. in it's Aleppo. Like, that just shows you the doctors, the patients, the research material, just everything. This has nothing to do with, you know, political sides or they religion. They don't want to get this rid of Assad. Just, they want to destroy the country. Yeah. Something. You know, why would you want to destroy something like that? Right. Yes. So it's, it's going to be like maybe... I would give it like 50 years before if that. Is. I mean, it's going to be another Iraq. Iraq is still always in turmoil and it's going to be the same way. Okay. And that's really sad, you know? I'm I'm going to miss going there every summer and I'm going to miss, you know, life the way it was. Collegian Voices is the official podcast of the Collegian Student Newspaper. It is recorded and produced within the limestone walls of the University of Tulsa. Questions, complaints, rousing speeches? Send them to us at tucollegian at tucollegian.org.